Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Freo Big Footy Podcast. This week we're going to go back and have a look at the game last week against the Bulldogs, where once again Fremantle got out to a good start. But the Bulldogs came flashing back to uh, nearly pinch the win and also have a look at the waffle game during the week with Peel Thunder and then upcoming clash against the Kangaroos, who had some success against Fremantle last year at Subiaco Oval. Last week, 15 goals, 11 101 to 14-488. Joining us is our usual residential Victorian expert, Seppo. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on the game, mate? Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's uh, oh, it's good to get that win, just to come away with that push from the Bulldogs. And like Ross said, all the leaders stood up in the last couple of minutes of that game. It was just nerve-wracking to be there at the ground and obviously see such a good start. It's just our trademark first quarter just to pile on the goals and it looked like we were in for a massive victory but I knew that we were always going to let them back into it somehow and you could see how it was happening with the quick bombing over the back and I think it was probably more to do with our sort of inexperienced Alex Pierce down there and it was, it was very brave to go in under the pack a lot but it was great to see that you know when even though they did push us we still responded right the way through and I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for that man Fife out there, we're going to be, uh, probably won't be in this situation when we're seven and zip. Yeah, no, he obviously um, did no harm to his uh, ground locate um, potential and uh, getting the three votes, but obviously there was a bit of a scare in there with a uh, tripping charge, which obviously uh, under the new rules ended up with a $1,000 fine and uh, good to see him get out there, back out this week and obviously uh, we'll get to his 100th game shortly, but as you said, it was probably more our... Uh, more experienced players, and obviously Michael Johnson was another who uh, just continued his good form. And uh, unfortunately, uh, some of the uh, you know smaller defenders struggled a little bit with obviously Tory Dixon getting off the chain step over seven goals, but most of those coming in the last quarter where he kicked four. Yeah, I suppose Johnson was huge down back then. If we didn't have him, we would have been in more trouble. That the fact that we've done this with you know McFarlane, Dawson, Silvani all out there, and the fact that our structure stands up still with Johnson general down back there with Alex Pierce and I think Sutcliffe got caught out of position a couple of times and I know Ibbotson was probably dragged up a bit higher up the ground and same with Sheridan, they were the sort of defenders playing higher up the ground and it was up to Sutcliffe, Johnson and Alex Pierce as the main back three that probably didn't gel as well as our usual setups but Johnson was just huge with, you know, 14 marks and 29 disposals, that's Johnson back to his All-Australian form and it was he was almost taking on a bit of that responsibility that McFarlane leaves in there, but it's um, I suppose a smart decision against the Bulldogs. It's always going to be the smalls, and I, I thought it was going to be the young uh, smaller Dow House that was going to cause us troubles because it always seems to be that small one. But it was obviously uh, um, uh, Dixon that Tory Dixon that was uh, <laughs> got out and kicked seven goals, and so many of them were that sneaking around the back of the pack when we committed too many to the ball and not sort of goaltending at the back and got onto it a couple of times. And you can see that line in the press conference wasn't too worried about it. You know, they just say they bombed it and we knew where we fell down. So hopefully with McFarlane back on the side and our defence, you know, reviewing all that and just learning a bit more from the game and we still got the result, that it's not a bad thing for, you, for Alex to work on. And um, I suppose it's not going to be the same down at waffle level with uh how easily sides can hurt you that quickly. But, um, yeah, it's great to see him at least get exposed for two games. Yeah, it was interesting as well, obviously, looking at what the Bulldogs did with the ruck contest, obviously conceding the ruck after quarter time 
and just sort of running in with a number of different midfielders. I thought, you know, obviously it was a bit strange with the... Uh, we certainly, uh, I think after that article during the week, Seppo on the AFL side about whether Fremantle get the home ground advantage with the umpiring, they certainly uh, turned it around in the uh, sort of first three quarters. I think we only had one or two free kicks for the first, you know, three quarters, and I think Walters nearly got his head ripped off. And it was interesting just the way they adjudicated the ruck as well. A number of times, just, you know, Sandlin's in there against the midfielder and, you know, holding his position, and then they're killing free kicks against Fremantle. Uh, there was probably two or three. I think even Fisher was the ones that was seemed to pull them out of nowhere. I was, we were all getting frustrated. We couldn't even work out what those free kicks were. That Sandlands was holding his own, holding his own like any other ruck contest, and suddenly it wasn't just against um, that ruckman Ace Cordy. It was anyone else that sort of went in there that decided that Aaron was you know conceding a free kick and giving it the other way, and just to even look out how much Aaron. And uh, Zach dominated. The hitouts were sixty-nine to thirteen, and I think there was moments in there. They even had young Ling Jong and um, some of the other guys. Yeah, Hannison, I think, had even going in the ruck against Clark and Sandy. So they were prepared to concede it. But you know, we won the uh, clearances only by a couple. And center was um, the center work that Fife did again with those Sandlands taps was just phenomenal and sent us forward. And the best one was the one that. Sandy to down to Fife onto Pav has probably happened almost once in every game now, but the way that Pav just took that mark one-handed, fending off the defender, and um, Fife to just push through that centre clearance was just awesome to watch. Yeah, the other um, interesting point, obviously Mundy went off with a bit of a head clash as well, and I think if you look through the tapes this year, Mundy's probably been our best, best fourth-quarter fourth performer. Like In that last quarter, he always seems to step up and just... You know, it's been huge, you know, particularly early on in the year when we look, if you go back and look at the Port game and that sort of thing. And obviously him, him uh, being under the weather, I think, did affect us a little bit in that last quarter as well. And, uh, I mean, full credit to the Bulldogs. They hung in tough. And uh, you certainly can see they've got um, the semblance of a good side there in a couple of years if they do keep all those young guys together. And you'd have to think it's going to be tough for them to, well, you know, tough for them to leave considering that, uh, you know, most of them are quite young and similar age and, you know, if you look at their juniors, they're definitely um, on the right track. Obviously, Pav played another huge game for us, uh, Seppo, kicking five goals. And when you only sort of kick, you know, for the whole day, we sort of only kicked uh, really 15 goals, you know, kicking a third of our scores. But we still managed to get to that 100-point mark, which was obviously, you know, key for us in terms of improving our scoring this year. Yeah, we've done that quite a bit now, get over that 100-point mark. and. Um, yeah, it's just fantastic. I think one of the stats I was reading is um, how we're pushing that ball forward. Daniel Pierce is a absolute key to that, and he's got a very good kick to handball ratio. And he's been smart about his kicks compared to last year. Everyone knew we could do that last year, but now I think he's directing the ball into the right spots. And I think he leads the comp in inside fifties again. And it's something he was prides himself on. You know, just getting that ball forward, and it's it's great to see we're actually become more of a, an attacking side, and I'm not sure where we sit overall in terms of points scored, but at least we, um, we've we got that defence nailed down as best in the comp, and the highest scoring team might just uh, come along as we start to keep on knocking out big wins. Yeah, the obviously other probably major talking point out of the game, I would say, uh, Seppo, was obviously a discussion about um, our smalls down back, and obviously Sutcliffe has probably been one of the... Uh, you know, major talks, talking points of that. I mean, I don't think anyone would probably disagree that his form probably isn't as great as it has been, 
well, it certainly was last year, and probably our small tools and small forwards, or small backs and small forwards, probably both, you know, even though Walters kicked two crucial goals, and, you know, Bella's got a couple of shots on the weekend. They probably haven't been up to their 2014 form at the moment. And um, Sheridan came in last week for his first game, and obviously I thought he showed a few good signs out there. I know some people don't rate him, but I think he certainly shows a bit. And I know a lot of um, opposition clubs um, think very highly or highly regard him. And uh, I thought even that chase in the last quarter where he brought, um, I can't remember who it was, it was it Ling Jong, I think. Mm, took him down, down in the middle. That really led to our goal, I think, that, Brought mm. us back in. I think what Sheridan does, and he's not that sort of deep, smaller defender, is that he was almost playing Duffield's role off half back and pushing up and using his sort of straight line running and, and kicking. And he's not that bigger body, but certainly um, when he's got the ball in hand, and I think he's worked on his defensive side in terms of running back, and at least showed he can put in a tackle here and there. And, you know, he only got the ball a couple of times, or 15 times, but he put on one tackle and. Um, really just helps us off the back line and feed it out. But you'd expect Duffield to come back in. And I think it was discussed that, you know, his use as a sub was just to give him a bit of a rest. And it's probably what we need at the moment, just to make sure we're not losing guys for the full game and just balancing out who's getting that vest each week. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as I said, I think, uh, as you said, I mean, it's interesting, you know, when you do look at Fremantle, when they do manage to get the coast to coast or move that ball quickly out of defence when they do kick it behind, it's generally Sutcliffe who sort of tends to float through the middle there, and he obviously, you know, is you know a big part of that ability to move the ball quickly. So, I think um, obviously you've got to persevere with him, and the reality is that both him and Sheridan uh, Seppo are both midfielders who have been sort of forced to adopt that sort of role, and I don't think it's ideally that you know they probably haven't played a lot there, and obviously Sutcliffe's uh, gotten better at it over time, and I think you know it's going to add another feather to Sheridan's bow, but I think he'll. Um, I still think he, you know, potentially has that best 22 in him um, come the end of the season if he uh, just is able to, uh, you know, just use his kicking skills and just show his uh, leg speed a little bit more through the middle. Yeah, certainly. It, it almost looks like in a couple of years' time you'll probably have Sheridan playing really on ball or, or maybe even just sort of outside the pack as a runner like Hill and um, even though he probably doesn't have that breakneck speed, you know, an acceleration off the pack, but... Yeah, sometimes you do get confused between Hill and Sheridan when they're running through. I think uh, Hill's gait is probably more recognisable and how he just turns and tries to get that left boot around where Sheridan's more straight line. But with Sutcliffe, he's, I think a lot of his junior footing, even when he was playing at East Romano, was fantastic on the wing. And once we've got that ability to push him up and get him out of defence, that's where he's probably going to really shine. But he's probably needed out of necessity down back at, at the moment. And... You know, Spur and him are doing an okay job, but not as best as those two have probably played in, in previous years, and there's definitely room for improvement. And like you mentioned before, the improvement's still to come And out of uh, the forward line with Ballantyne and Walters in there. It always seems to be those away games that I know Walters seems to play well away and Ballantyne seems to play well at home, but it's just been nice to have them both in form, and, and that's really what we're looking for to really move on and, and take the step up. Yeah, absolutely, and... Uh... You know, I, I don't think, uh, you know, based on what we've seen, that Duffield's an ideal sub. Um, you know, I know he got, you know, I think five tackles in a couple of minutes, but I think he's sort of one of those players that runs into the game. I and mean, just his disposal, I mean, coming off half-back is elite, and I just think we missed that, having that out there and that bit of, uh, you know, a bit of extra controls. You know, he would have been an ideal sort of matchup at times as well on Dixon. So, as you said, it was good we got the seven, uh, you know, to the 7-0 Sevo without... Uh, and then more importantly, without any injuries. So, I mean, you can't 
sort of complain about that at all. And uh, as you said, it'll be just one of those things where we can move on. And the other thing as well is that obviously the Bulldogs did kick pretty straight and, you know, through crumbing or bringing the ball in the right spot. So it's, uh, as I said, they're on the right track and, you know, and uh, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if, if not this year, definitely next year, they'll be pushing for a top eight spot. Yeah, I suppose they're sitting eighth at the moment and they'll probably might even have a chance to sneak into the eight at the end of the year unless sides like Geelong and North and all Richmond start to really push up that were probably at the start of the season likely to be in there. But good on them for, for playing this well so far and really testing us because it certainly probably um, you know highlighted a couple of things and flaws that we've got. And even though we all think we've got a best 22 out there, there's you know one or two things that need to be worked on and improved um, each week. Yeah, for sure. And uh, as you said, those are the sort of games that you do need to have at times, you know, to be able to test your uh, structures and test your things in place when you do get challenged. And, you know, six minutes to go, the game was, you know, all the momentum was with the Bulldogs and yet they still managed to uh, sort of pretty much keep them scoreless after that and just control the game at times. And, you know, I think um, I think Beveridge was probably drawing a little bit of a long bow saying that, you know, if that ball, if Wallace sort of got that ball, they'd be in front and win the game. But uh, as you said, sort of, um, they're the sort of games we need to have as a club just to challenge and make sure that um, our structures do hold up. Yep. All right. Any other points you want to bring up, mate, before we move on? Uh, no, probably other, other than just the fact that the uh, what you mentioned with Duffield's five tackles coming on as sub, I think this is the third or fourth time now we've seen that the sub comes on and it's almost like their instructions are to go out there and just tire out the opposition, like pick a one or two sort of match winners from them and just lay in the tackles and and do the job coming in because I certainly didn't see Duffield go back and play where he's used to. He was right up in there and I can't remember exactly who he took, but for five tackles, and I think DeBoer did it in the Sydney game and there might have been one other where the sub came on was just assigned a task and considered the guys we've been using. Um, what have we had? Mzungu, Crozier, Duffield, DeBoer, Subin even, I think. Yeah. It's it, When you look at those players and, and probably their stats, it'll probably be an interesting thing to see. And even just rewatch the footage when they've come on. Have they targeted someone in particular? Because it's a pretty good strategy. If you're not going to use that player to have an impact on the scoreboard, you can sort of wipe out their uh, match winner and, and make them really hurt. And w- when everyone's tired of someone coming on fresh and be able to, you know, sink their body into someone without, you know, giving away a malicious free kick or anything, but really make them uh, hurt going the other way. Yeah, the other um, interesting point, of, you know, just before we finish up, Seb, I think was. Um... Obviously, Tabana um, playing as a forward, I thought he was an exceptional, um, had an exceptional first quarter and was just able to provide that lead. But unfortunately, whether it's his fitness or the team structure changed up a bit, but they just didn't seem to hit him up anywhere near as much in the second. And I think I think he took six marks for the day, but probably five of them were in the first quarter. And every time he pushed up hard and got the ball, it, we just looked a lot more dangerous. And you know, obviously, we need to be able to see that probably for more than just a quarter at a time or a quarter and a half. And you know, obviously, that's what you know, Ross Lyons trying to preach and whether, you know, because he has been subbed off a couple of times, whether only playing three quarters is hurting his sort of match fitness or development, it's hard to say, but it would be good to see him, um, you know, get out there and play a full four quarters because when he does lead well and gets in the right spots, we definitely look a lot more dangerous. Oh, definitely. And uh, you can just see from that first quarter and the way he's helping out Pav, but there was times towards the end that I think Pav was getting double teamed and, I know it's been mentioned a lot in the media over here about full forwards, how they're getting double teamed and absolutely getting scragged. And I think there was one or two moments where Pav copped a good whack across the chops and they didn't play chopping the arms or 
holding the man and we're sort of scratching our heads going, Pav's getting mauled here and we've probably seen it in the past, but you just wonder now with the attention that, you know, Cloak's not getting frees and I think someone else has, has made the comment that, you know, full forwards aren't getting the attention they said they would, that maybe we might see a couple more frees go Pav's way now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see this week and obviously uh, we'll get to it in a minute, obviously with about the uh, Lindsay Thomas thing as well, whether he doesn't quite get as many frees or with the ducking thing. that So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Before we get to that game, Seppo, obviously also during the uh, on the Saturday down at Fremantle Oval, Peel Thunder played against the South Fremantle Bulldogs and uh, came away with a comfortable 44-point win, winning uh, 12 goals, 13-85 to 5-11-41. And the pleasing thing, I think, for the Freo staff was that just about all their uh, draft picks or players who were on the squad all had um, really solid games. And uh, obviously, Mazungu once again pushing hard for a spot with... Uh, 29 possessions and 9 tackles. Lockie Weller had 24. Blakely, once again, continued his great form with 28 possessions. Crozier had 19 possessions, but 5 um, five inside 50s and 12 tackles. So, you know, this that defensive pressure will be just, you know, exactly what um, Ross Lyons after. Ed Langdon had 25 touches. Ballard, 26. And uh, even uh, Thomas Vandeleur for the second week in a row has been forward and... Uh, Seems to show a bit down there as well, Seppo kicking three goals too, and it's a couple of weeks in a row where he's kicked a few goals, so he, he could be a bit of a smoke. He's always played in defence, even as a youngster or a colt for South Fremantle, so he's uh, shown to be up forward the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's good to see some of those guys that have probably had a quietish years or even just a little change of position, and a bit more time on the Peel side together is really starting to produce results now, and even it's great to see the uh, young Irishman Sean Hurley maintain his spot in the seniors. And after that quietish game last week, everyone thought he might go back to the reserves to, you know, just work his way through it. But he stayed in the side and probably looked a bit lost. I think from a hurdle reports, but great to see he's actually got a win and be a part of it, and got to view that little highlight of him in the uh, you know, Gatorade showers, the Peel song sung. So. Great to see him. He's actually starting to learn. And from what I've seen in reports, are he's actually got a great use of the body and actually starting to almost play as well as Tanner Smith, but um, obviously not with the with the knowledge of the game plan and the direction that he is. So it's great to see he's actually coming on a lot quicker than most expected. So looking forward to seeing something from Sean. And, I mean, it's always sometimes a bit of a subjective thing as well, Sepo, but second week in a row we've seen Tanner Smith in the best uh, five players on the ground, which is obviously for his development and for the club as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right. In the uh, upcoming game this week, obviously Fremantle will be going up against North Melbourne. I think it was the part, the only home and away game they lost at home last year, with obviously the exception of the final against Port Adelaide. Um, so this week, Alex Pierce goes out with back bruising and Luke McFarlane is a very welcome in. And obviously for the Kangaroos, Mason Wood and Trent Dumont are in for their um, side and I think Dumont's playing his first game and probably two big outs for the Kangaroos with Ben Brown with a knee and Andrew Swallow with a broken thumb and obviously a big milestone game this week at home as well with Nat Fife playing his 100th Seppo. Who would have thought that Fife's already racking up his 100th game? He's, well I suppose it is, he's, he's playing like some of a, a 150 or a 200 game that um, he's come along quickly and I suppose when you think about he didn't even start his debut in round one. It took a couple couple of goes in, in um, 2010. And um, I was just reading some stat today that he was actually the uh, 150th player to appear for Fremantle. So we've actually uh, gone through a couple until we found a, a gem like him. And he's, he's joined the uh, elite club of 100, 
100 games this week and, and thank God that he got off that uh, trip with just a fine and he's, he's free to you know, play this game, play his 100th, do it in front of a home crowd and, um, yeah, get, get through. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, um, before we sort of move on, I'll talk about the upcoming clash. I thought, um, you know, I think Alex Pierce has definitely shown quite shown a bit in his first couple of games, Stefan. And obviously, last week Boyd got a hold of him a couple of times, but uh, his general positioning and he looked a little bit more confident bringing the ball out last week. But I think there's definitely positive signs there for the uh, future for us with in terms of that key position defender. He's certainly tall enough and uh, shows good positioning skills as well. Yeah, I suppose as a second-year player, he's still got a lot to build into his body. So you can see he's got the footy smarts there and a bit work, more work of the game plan in terms of positioning, but he certainly wasn't afraid. And, you know, he's come out of that sign with back bruising. I think he backed into a pack and learnt the hard way, you know, once or twice with some bigger bodies being thrown around that you, know, you have to wait a, wait a bit before you can do that in the AFL. But um, good to see that he wasn't scared and probably went in there when he shouldn't at, at times. But... Oh, it's just fantastic to have Luke back and the fact that we could play without him. Luke was, you know, made the call that he was, you know, 95%, not full, fully 100% for the game. And this week he's trained well and ready to come back into the side. It's really great to see, especially when we're coming up against a, a North Melbourne that are, you know, renowned for their uh, tall forward line. Yeah. The other interesting point before we sort of get into the individual matchups, Sepo will be the way who they use in the green vest this week. Um, and obviously there's four on the interchange with Barlow, Sutcliffe, Duffield, and Subin. Um, obviously Duffield played in the vest last week, so you'd have to think he would be unlikely. And likewise with um, the small forwards in Nahas and Lindsay Thomas, you'd have to think Sutcliffe will have to play back, um, you know, in that defensive role. So you'd have to think it probably, you'd think Barlow would be unlikely. So you'd have to sort of think Subin would be odds on pop to get the uh, sub this sub vest this week. Yeah, if it's not Sheridan, it'd probably be Subin, um, one of those two. Either of those two, I'd be happy for whatever they do, um, you know, once taking the green vest off. And unless there's any type of late change, we're looking at Mzungu, Crozier and Hanath named as the emergencies. And I'm sure there's no doubt in terms of injury-wise amongst all those players out there. I think Barlow was one that I saw um, after the game with a bit of uh, ice strapped to the back of his leg high up, so... I suppose if he's he's got through training this week and there's no further reports, he's looking good. But it's it's great to see that our injury list is in pretty good shape, except for those key defenders. But if we can get Zach Dawson and McFarlane constantly playing without injury, we're um, looking pretty good. Yeah, there was some sort of discussion with David Mundy having a bit of a black eye and a you know a bit of a swollen sort of face, where obviously where he got hit last week. But you know, two or three days with some ice, you'd think it would be you'd probably be right to play. But obviously, uh, Mzungu could be that late inclusion if that's the, if you think Monday doesn't play. Obviously, uh, you know, I know there's a bit of a talk on the thread about players that seem to come up, bob up against us, and uh, Nahas's name is a pretty common one, and, uh, you know, he always just seems to have that sort of game against us, but you'd have to think their forward line is probably a strength of theirs, with obviously Petrie starting to show a bit in the last few weeks, and you think Luke McFarlane will go to him, but uh, obviously they've got some dangerous smalls, a bit like the Bulldogs last week with... Uh, Nahas, Higgins, and uh, Lindsay Thomas there. So, as you talked about in the uh, review, Seppo Frio will have to sort of be on their game a bit to make sure that ball doesn't get over the back. Yeah, certainly. I suppose this is where we can do it without um, Swallow in the midfield. And there, I suppose, when you look at their injury list, they're missing quite a, a good couple of players. Like they've got um, probably about two or three best 22 
players missing out there. But it's um, yeah, one way we can prevent the likes of you know Waite, Nahas, Petrie, Lindsay Thomas, Higgins, and I suppose Zebel when he does push forward, you know, having an effect. It's it's probably winning a ball in the midfield. But certainly, if the ball's spending a lot of time down there, it's not going to be uh, uh, as easy as the uh, the games we played in the past. And and I reckon probably that list there, just looking at that forward line, is a lot better than what the Bulldog line is at the moment. Yeah, the other one as well, obviously, like last year, if we look at last year's game, obviously Wells didn't play. But as you said, if you take out those three and Levi Greenwood as well, who obviously went to um, Collingwood, they uh, obviously do have some, you know, quite a number of their, you know, midfield strength out. And as you said, those guys who come in, as you said, you get one or two sort of first year players and, you know, sometimes those games are decided by your bottom four or five players, not your top four or five. And, as I said, it's going to be a tough game, for, I think, for a lot of those uh, for those midfielders, you know, particularly in terms of their rotations and who they can move through the midfield. Obviously, they'll use uh, Zebel as being their main extracting sort of player. And it'll be interesting to see whether they go head-to-head with Fife or whether they use him on Monday or who they do, you know, whether Cunnington gets the job. You think Cunnington may go to Lockie Neal or someone like him or Bastinac? So it'll be interesting to see how they match up in that forward line. And obviously the big clash will be Seppo the uh, Ruckman with Goldstein and Sandlin's probably both vying for that All-Australian spot, really, at this stage. Yeah, well, there's one thing I heard on the radio. They're actually rating probably Stefan Martin at this stage, probably one of the best Ruckman out there. And I think Goldstein had early form, but I think Stefan Martin's shown he's probably in front of Sandlin's in terms of performance at the moment. And I know Sandlin's probably not been recognised for the, the work he does around the ground and how crucial he is, but it seems these days that, Ruckman in the you know forward and back line, Clark and Sandlands aren't taking as many mucks as they've done in the past, and I suppose it's it's now Frio's game plan is not just kick it down the line, kill the contest. It's more smarter ball movement. So you probably see the the Ruckman, unless stupid opposition, just uh, go to kick it down the line, and there's Aaron or, or Zach standing there, and they mop it up. But there's definitely less, less marks for the Ruckman these days the way they're playing. But Sandlands against Goldstein is probably one of the uh, better battles, I think, when you think of all the Ruckman we've come against so far in the first seven rounds. I know probably you know, Bell Chambers and Cordy in the last few weeks probably haven't been much chop, but um, this one, Goldstein's a really good test for Aaron, and I suppose you'll start to see the, the centre clearances not just be walked out by Fremantle all the time now. Yeah, and it'll obviously be a bit of an impact as well for the North Melbourne midfield because they're probably used to having... Goldstein win the hitouts and they can dictate where the ball's going. And with Sandlin's playing against Goldstein, they're now going to have to probably adjust what they do as well. So they're not going to be able to sort of pick and choose where they want the uh, ball to go when they do their centre, you know, centre square uh, stop or stoppages structuring. So it's going to be interesting to see how they dictate that and whether even to a degree whether the North Melbourne use a third man up, which has been a pretty common ploy against uh, Sandlin's in the first six or seven weeks this year. Yep. Yeah, obviously last year as well in the game, Seppo Fremantle didn't have either Ballantyne or Walls was playing in the uh, as a small forward, and I think Barlow missed the game as well. But having those two small forwards in there will certainly make a bit of a difference when you consider that the North defence is quite top-heavy when you consider Thompson, Perito, Tarrant and Lockie Hansen are all quite big bodies. And, you know, Thompson loves hanging on to the, uh, to the off-arm <laughs> Of his uh, <laughs> defender, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether you know, having a quick look, we've got Luke Farmer and Margetts this week, so it could be um, just interesting to see whether they uh, pick those 
sort of things up because at least once or twice a game, Thompson seems to get pulled up on it. Yeah, it certainly is a common thread for those guys. But I'm just thinking back to that game last year and, and I remember how wasteful we were. I think it was one of our games that we kicked probably about eight goals, 15 or something ridiculous that probably lost us the game and kicked themselves out of it. And I remember Boomer taking Crowley to the cleaners on that one with those lot of cheap possessions and, and running around. But this you know, team's got a probably different makeup to be interesting to see the differences between now and last year. And, and there's a lot of guys there that have probably improved. Um, and, and even with Clancy Pierce and Ibbotson back into that back line with McFarlane and Johnson there, already that's looking a lot better place to take on the tall forwards of that. And like you just mentioned, what Walters and Ballas, providing they need to increase their form on what they've been doing. I think what Ballantyne's been doing without the ball has been fantastic. And Walters probably just needs to get his hands on it a bit more and maybe get into more dangerous positions because it seems a lot of his work's been done up on the wing or outside that centre square. So get those two involved more, get them out the back. I know we like to isolate the forwards now these days, but I think may involve one of them pushing forward more and maybe we'll see a couple more goals and stretch the north defence. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Sean Atley and those, and Luke McDonald sort of tend to provide that bit of drive off half-back. So obviously guys like Main and sort of Ballas and Walters will be important in terms of um, stopping that run from that half-back line particularly if they do want to get that ball over the top. Obviously, Harvey Harvey's another player who, uh, as you talked about before, had a pretty big game last year against Fremantle. So, Poen, who do you think they'll uh, run with him? Do you think they'll just let him go on his own or do you think they'll uh, sort of try and sort of corral him or play a sort of player on him? Oh, I think it'll be like a soft tag. I, I think we've seen too many hard jobs on people these days, but... I'm certainly, I think we're going to back in all our, our guys right around the ground to win the ball and, and keep it off the opposition. I, I'm not sure if, I think there was some comment even going back the other way to, you know, what North was thinking about letting Fife go in and, you know, not trying to put a tag on him. And I think some reporter was asking, you know, Brad Scott, you're just going to let him go. He goes, no, I don't know, we'll still put some attention into him, but we just don't want to focus too much because we've got great players like Mundy, Hill and... And Pierce, it's not just Fife that does all the damage. So I think it's um, yeah, just quite interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of head-to-head battles, um, but not real hard one-on-one matches like we've seen over last year. Yeah, the other thing about the North Melbourne midfield is when you look at them, they're quite small. Like, they're quick or... And, you know, you can't fault Zeeble and his efforts to get the ball and that sort of stuff. But they're in Cunnington, Bastinac, Harvey. They, you know, they're all quite short players. So it'll be interesting to see how... They contend with obviously having the Fremantle uh, big mids in there and whether they can sort of sustain that effort for the whole four quarters. Any other sort of matchups that stand out to you in the game, Seppo? Not running around the ground, I suppose, when you look through each one, but it'll be just interesting to see if there's any um, sort of opportunity to exploit them. And I think we've probably just highlighted the one area we can with our smalls if they come in line. And um, I think probably when I'm looking at their list, the ones that you know scare me, like we mentioned before, is Nahas. But one player I sort of admire is Zeeble with the work he does overhead and how hard he goes in and um, certainly likes to go in as a wrecking ball. Um, it'll be quite interesting to see if we you know, finally start to see some players go down with injuries after you know a toughish game because I suppose North are going to want to make a stand and, and think that they they can win because they've you know won here last year and 
yeah, they're going to want to be the team that sort of breaks our perfect start to the year so far. So it'll be interesting to see if any players for them really step up and and uh, how we respond to that. Yeah, it'd be interesting as well if they do use Nick Subin in the vest, Seppo, because Subin has been playing that defensive mid role for us. And even though he hasn't been doing a hard tag like Crowley used to, he's certainly been probably more of our defensive player and he picks up their best opposition midfielder in terms of bringing the ball out. So it'd be interesting if he does go to the Suds vest, how Fremantle or who they use in that defensive role, if they do use it at all, or whether they just tend to go more head-to-head and a bit more offensive. Mm. All right, probably on that last note as well, before we... uh, I will get the tip from you first, Stefan, on what do you think... uh, the result will be? Well, well, I think this is going to be a nice close game. I know if we get a run on, um, we're probably capable of finally putting a, a good side away, but putting a good side away probably means about 40 points. So um, I'll probably scale that back and go 35 points, 36 points for our margin this week. Yeah, I think it'll, probably, I think it'll be a little bit closer that, you know, than people think. Uh, obviously, you know, said they've sort of managed to play pretty well against us. So I think it'll be... A, Probably about a four to five goal win. So I'll go 28 points this week for uh, Fremantle. And, you know, obviously Fly's playing his 100th game as well, Seppo. So, you know, there might be a little bit of extra incentive there to do well. And I know that people say, oh, you know, milestone games, they don't, you know, they don't look at it. But at the end of the day, you know, the crowd will be a little bit more pumped up for it. And obviously playing North Melbourne as well, you know, with obviously the Crowley and Harvey thing from a couple of years ago. So, you know, there's no, going to be no shortage of noise and uh, comments over the fence. So I think it'll be definitely a high-octane sort of game out there. And uh, as you said, with, you know, if Fife can get off the chain a little bit early, I think it'll certainly uh, pump the boys up and, you know, they could go out and certainly, as you said, put away a good side and, you know, sort of stamp our credentials after, as what we've shown this year. Mm, it certainly looks good. I think if you, we can get through this game, what we're looking at is Adelaide away and Richmond again at home, which is two more fantastic tests before you know we're getting closer towards a buy. And it's going to be great if we can keep this momentum going and still you know manage players, you know, with people coming in and out of the side and 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 work our way through and, and get another win. Yeah, obviously the last point, uh, Seppo, before we sort of finish up for the night was the you know Ryan Crowley had his tribunal hearing uh, during the week, and obviously. There's been some talk, obviously, that methadone was the uh, drug in well, painkiller process, and obviously we can't talk about it a little bit too much, depending, you know, on what happens. But uh, let's just hope. I mean, he felt that he got a fair hearing, and let's hope that it sort of the result is sort of said right, sooner rather than later, rather than sort of hanging around for two or three months waiting for a uh, verdict. It looks like from what I've read, that's probably going to be about two or three weeks before we hear anything, but. You never know. They, they might sort of take a lenience. I think he sort of did plead guilty and tried to cooperate as much as possible. So I don't know how it compares in, in terms of the, the Assad case or something like that. And if it's you know backdated and they say a year, who who knows? It, it it could spell the end. You think, you know, if it rules him out for the rest of this season, will he decide to go around or is any if we left of him? Like if he can come in towards the back end of the year, is an opportunity for him. But you just wonder if he just wants to finish his game um, career on a on a high and actually get a win and put this behind him, or or if if, if it's going to be a long term thing, does that the spell end of him and he, does he call his retirement? It's going to be interesting to sort of track and and follow it to see how he uh, responds in the uh, coming weeks once we find out the result. Yeah, it certainly will be, and uh, we'll just wish him all the best, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to get out and at least be considered for selection sooner rather than later. 
just also before we finish tonight, Sepo, just a reminder, we've obviously got the Kepler-Bradley podcast coming up as well. So if you haven't, uh, when you finish listening to this, obviously go along. And Kepler's had some uh, pretty interesting things to say. And obviously you've had a chance to have a bit of a listen to it, Sepo. And hopefully the uh, you know some of the people listening will get some uh, good insight to what Kepler's all about. Yeah, it's fantastic to just hear from ex-players. Guys are sort of fresh out of the game. And we had a fantastic interview uh just last year or the year before with Anthony Grover, and it's great to get get a, a viewpoint from you know an ex-player, the one that's been involved, especially someone like Keps, who's sort of just acknowledges his cult hero status, and just to hear a bit about from you know what it's looking from the inside out, and uh, yeah, definitely have a listen to it. Um, it's going to be attached in the same thread, and it'll be another episode just to listen to and and kill another forty-five minutes of your day. Listen to Freo talk. For sure. And uh, thanks again for joining us this week, Seppo, and hopefully we'll be able to come back next week and uh, talk about Fremantle being 8 and zip. Uh, no worries. All right. That's it for this week, guys. Enjoy the game if you're managing to get along or hopefully it'll be a bit warmer than it's been the last couple of nights in Perth. And as I said, enjoy Nat Fife's 100th game and hopefully many more for him in the free-eye jumper to come. That's it for this week. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.